So go ahead, be turning with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to be in a lot of different passages uh, this afternoon. Um, we are now in, so last week, if we were to call that the introduction to the study on heaven, this will be kind of session one. Um, and I've decided since over the next several weeks, we're going to be like looking towards our heavenly home and the hope that awaits us. Um, it will be very easy for us along that path um, as we dream about the hopes that we have to be with Christ for all of eternity. We'll, we will we will find ourselves um, far from the end of the spectrum that we're going to start with tonight um, as we consider hell. Um, and I wanted I wanted to to start here. Um, so like we're we're here. It's a Wednesday night. Um, I'm looking across the faces, and um, I see brothers and sisters in Christ that I've seen here for many of you for more than a decade, going on I, for many of you more than two decades at this point. So um, as we address hell tonight, um, I want to kind of start with with this, is that it is not my intention to address it here as some means of leading you to question your salvation. It is not um, my intention here to lead um, you to, to leave tonight fearful or worrying or questioning. Um, I want us to start here because as believers, as those who will find themselves for forever in eternity with Christ, um, but now we find ourselves on this side of eternity. We will find ourselves in 10,000 years lost in the glories of heaven. Right? We will find ourselves all the questions and worries and concerns that we have today. We will find those things having been washed away in the greatness and, and the, the extravagance of God's glory shown to us. But we don't find ourselves there now. Um, you find yourselves in struggles. You find yourselves um, in trials and tribulation. Um, I would say you find yourselves closer to hell now than you will ever find yourselves in the future. But there are those that you live with, those that you work with, those that you go to school with, um, who today find themselves closer to heaven than they will ever find themselves. Because this, for those who find themselves rebels eternally, the life they lived here was the closest glimpse of heaven. And, and as we reflect on the reality of hell, I hope that it stirs within us an urgency to share this good news that we have, that we have experienced with those that we come in contact with uh, on a daily basis. So that's why we're starting. That's why we're starting today 
uh, on hell. So um, just as heaven is a real place, and we're going to cover this as, as, we go, as we go through this, and you will see some of the questions that I asked last week. You'll see some of the, the, like some of the places that I've landed on some of, those class, some of those questions you will find bleeding out today, even in the way that I word some of the things that, that I kind of put forward as we discuss this. So uh, just as heaven is a real place, with real physical bodies and real experiences uh, and eternal joy, hell is also a real place with real physical bodies and real eternal punishment. Hell is real. Hell is eternal. Hell is physical. Hell is spiritual. Hell is a conscious experience. Hell is torment. Jesus more than and we're going to look at this tonight in in the text, Jesus more than any other person in scripture combined spoke about the reality of hell and the torment that awaits body and soul in this place of outer darkness. For us as believers, and this is something that we have to be careful of for For us as believers to diminish the reality of hell is to diminish the importance of the cross. I'm going to say that again. To diminish the reality of hell is to diminish the importance of the cross. So on the cross, Christ took the cup of God's eternal wrath towards us. He took it for His people and finished every last drop. When Christ said, it is finished, it was finished for you and I. He could do on that cross what no other human was capable of doing. Because Christ was the infinite God and Creator in that moment. So He could finish a cup of eternal wrath during His time of punishment on the cross where he took our punishment upon himself. And because of that, we read in Romans 8, chapter 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you have been called by the Holy Spirit, received this free gift that is extended with the gospel call, then you find yourself as those who are in Christ. And for you, there remains no condemnation. There remains no punishment. And that is why on a night like tonight, we can come in here and we can talk about this. And I'm not trying to use this as a fear tactic to convince you to come to Christ. But the reality is, the reality is, is that as... Difficult as it is to think about and consider the passages of text that we will look at tonight, the reality of hell is much, much worse than the words that we will find could describe it to be. Okay? So you're going to find yourself, and, and, and as believers um, who, who hold to the reality of an eternal hell as well as the reality of an eternal heaven, you will find those that combat you um, on all sides 
to the fairness or rightness of a God who would punish like temporary sins for eternity. And um, there's some realities that we will cover and that we've covered in the past that um, that would kind of push that away. They would say things like, isn't it a little unreasonable to torture people as though God is like, like unfair or unkind or unloving or unholy? He is all of those things. He is love. He is full of grace, full of mercy. He's full of judgment and wrath. Righteous and holy wrath. He is holy, holy, holy. Right? Like this is such a big deal that the one who came to save us is the one who speaks most about this reality. Right? And we should reflect on that. Like he is the one that gives us these visuals that some might turn and say are torture. Right? Like to be burned in an eternal fire, like I can't even imagine. But as I think about what we're going to be attempting to do as we try to imagine what heaven would look like, and we're going to use words knowing that those words will fail us in the description, that no matter how great and grand we make heaven sound, it will be so much better. Likewise, when Christ speaks of hell as fire, and we think about how bad that would be, it will be so much worse. So much worse than we could ever imagine. So what of those who are not in Christ? So we've said here, Romans 8, 1, there's therefore, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What of those who are not in Christ? Consider what we read in John chapter 3. So turn with me to John chapter 3. I'm going to be reading uh, verses 18 and, and 19 here. So what of those who are not in Christ? Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. That's us. We are the believers. If you have accepted this gospel hope, if the Holy Spirit has drawn you to Him, if you've repented and believed and you followed through in baptism and you are here tonight in Christ, you are among those who are not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Okay, so we're starting with hell tonight instead of going directly into heaven because hell is the default destination of it was prior to Christ for all of you, the default destination for everyone, you know, they did not start off on a path towards heaven. For the generations and generations that will come after us, they did not start, will not start on a path towards heaven. The default path for all of us who find ourselves guilty in Adam is where? Hell. So if you don't believe, it is not as though you will be condemned. You are condemned already. That's the reality of Scripture. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. 
So what hope is there? Again, belief in the work of Christ. Because He has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So again, your default destination was not heaven, it was hell. Your default preferences were not good. They were evil. The world needs to know that the destination apart from being in Christ, is eternal destruction. Torment beyond what words could describe. That is the default. Paul, uh, quoting from the Psalms in Romans chapter 3, makes this even more clear. Uh, when we read, so um, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 10 through 12. Uh, you could finish that entire run if you, if you like. But for the sake of time, uh, we're only going to look at a couple of the verses here. So Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This is one of those passages of text whenever I think about the default state that humanity finds itself in. Also, as we begin asking questions about heaven um, with the understanding that hell will like be a parallel reality, and, and if we... If we are lax and lazy, if we fail to preach the gospel, then there are going to be those who will find themselves by default in hell as a result of us sitting on our hands or sitting idly by. And many of us would like to believe that instead that we will just be unaware of everything that took place. That we will be uh, have our memories wiped. So that even if we do fail, ultimately our memory is going to be wiped. So it won't be a big deal there, right? While meanwhile, there are those who find themselves eternally punished for the sin that they have been born, guaranteed to find themselves in. And none of them, not one of them. No one understands. Not one of them. No one seeks for God. Every one of you, every single one of you, without question, who finds themselves here today in Christ, finds themselves finds himself in Christ not because they sought after Him first, but because He came doing the seeking. And He sent others to preach this good news. I hope we reflect on how important it is for us as individuals to be busy about sharing the gospel with those that we come in contact with. Because they will not just 
stumble upon Him. They are not seeking Him. He is seeking them. And He's calling us in His Word to stir our hearts, even in moments like this, to reflect on who are those people that are in my life whose destination is hell, lest they find themselves in Christ. There are those that you love who do not know Him today. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? How important is it that the gospel be taken to them again and again and again and again and again? They will not seek Him. He seeks them. All have turned aside. Together have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. The Scripture says not even one does good. Sometimes in our laziness, we will find ourselves saying, well, I believe God is good and I believe this person does good. Maybe, maybe it'll work out in the end. Scripture does not leave us that out. Scripture tells us, and this is again where we have zero like understanding in regards to the holiness and standards of a holy, righteous, and upright God. Is that we look at evil and call it good. Right? Like, Oftentimes, even the things that we do that we think are good, do we not do them out of misguided intentions? Like everything we touch that's not in Christ finds itself in this reality. So what remains? What remains for those who are not found in Christ on the day of judgment. This is one of those things that you all know the answer to this already. Right? Like this is not me teaching you some new type of thing tonight. You are all well aware of what happens if someone does not believe. If someone has not heard the gospel. There... When I think about, when I reflect on this, and this is why we don't. I think this is why we don't oftentimes find ourselves reflecting on these types of things is because it shows us how good we're not. Like how much work He still has in to do in us. Because when I say that there are people in the world today, today, who the gospel in this moment, couldn't be preached in their language because it hasn't been translated to them. That there are unreached people today. We will get up tomorrow and we will live our lives as though it's all good for them. Won't you? Like how many of you are going to become missionaries tomorrow? You're going to leave it for the next generation, right? That's what we're going to, that's what we're going to do. Am I wrong? I'm too old. I've done too much already. Like I've, like, we'll make excuses until we're blue in the face. I've got a job. I've got a family. I've got this. I've got that. 
Will we not? So what's left for them? For those who, if they don't hear the gospel, their default destination is hell, and the gospel has not been brought to them. What will What will happen to them? Tell me. Can you tell me what will happen to them? What? They will get what they deserve. What we deserved. But the Holy Spirit moved in the generations before us and stirred men and women to share the gospel. And you find yourself here today a believer because they knew hell was real and that if something was not done about it, that the world would find itself there. I believe that the Holy Spirit continues to work. Continues to stir our hearts. Continues to raise up missionaries. Continues to raise up churches who send missionaries. Who support missionaries. Because the church understands that hell is real. And that God has left us here. Instead of pulling us on into heaven. Because there are brothers and sisters that we have, that don't know they are yet. But we'll, when we take the gospel to them. But what if we failed in this? What if we do not go? What if we find ourselves too busy? What if they find themselves rejecting? Because that's a reality too, right? We find ourselves in a culture that is, like, in many ways, like, a post-Christian culture. Like the gospel has gone out. It has been preached. And yet we find those who reject. That's a reality. That's a reality. Is that the gospel will not be accepted by all. That should not stop us from going. That should not stop us from sending. That should not stop us from preaching. But what will the eternal destination of those be who find themselves ultimately rejecting to the end? John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when, when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, that's us believers. Do we believe that we're going to be raised bodily from the grave? We do. Oftentimes we don't think about this next piece. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment, they will be raised bodily to be judged and punished bodily. There's a lot of things that we could go into um, into here, I think about those who have committed their lives to great evil, right? Like we think about the Hitlers of the world, um, who um, in many regards, it would seem got the easy way out when it comes to the punishment 
that was probably due them. Like there are some things where punish where death is not punishment enough, right? Where death is not punishment enough. Um, now we can easily see that when it comes to like a Hitler type individual, we scarcely consider that when it comes to the own to our own sins, right? Um, but we are way closer to Hitler in our original state than we are to Jesus, like by a mile. Like if you took Paul and you ask him, like we're going to stand Hitler over here, we're going to stand Jesus all the way on the other side of the room, and you said Paul, like you're the greatest of preachers, save Christ. Like where would you find yourself? You think he's going to walk way over there to be by Jesus? Not a man who says he's the worst of sinners, like the chief of sinners. He's going to find himself like I'm closer to this side, right? So there will be those raised, those who have done evil, raised in a resurrection of judgment. Revelation chapter 20 speaks to this as well. So if you'll turn with with me there, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, then the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them like literally Hey, you know, there's nobody that was hiding from this moment here. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Here we are with this fiery language. This won't be the last. Um, this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. These real people, real lives, raised into real bodies, judged by the works, the deeds that they have done, found guilty of them, was thrown into the lake of fire. Like the language here cannot be avoided. So the default destination for all humanity who are not found in Christ is to find themselves one day in this place, standing before their Creator, guilty by the works that they have done, judged by the works that they have done, and thrown into a lake of fire. Listen, if there was a way to avoid this type of language when talking about hell, it would be way more comfortable to do that. Um, Perhaps if the Savior of humanity had not spent so much time speaking about it, then we could. Um, But Christ himself does more to develop this idea of hell than any other person in all of Scripture, in all of Scripture. So Jesus, more than any other prophet before him or apostle after him, 
spoke on the subject of hell, warning his listeners to repent and to follow after him. It should not surprise us that the one who came to save us from our sin would speak so openly regarding its consequences. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 29, this is Jesus. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And we look at this and we're like, isn't that extreme? All of you would think it extreme if I ripped an eye out and told you that I did it because my eyes were causing me to sin. All of you would think that it was extreme if I cut my hands off and my response was is that my hands were causing me to sin. Jesus Himself is the one giving us this reality. And what it should cause us to consider is as extreme as it would be to rip our eyes out or cut our hands off, it's significantly better than the alternative. Like no question. Like no question. Right? Matthew 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. So soul and body. And this destruction is not um, a... This word here that's translated for us, destroy, is not a nihilism. Like this is not like... They will be destroyed and be no more. This is not like the punishment is somehow like temporary or short-lived. This is that they will be brought to destruction. They will be brought to nothing. Right? Absolutely destroyed. Matthew chapter 18, verses 7-9. through Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one... By whom temptation comes, and if your hand, and this again, like in the same book, right? So we've been in Matthew for these last three. So Matthew 5, Matthew 10, now Matthew 18. So he gives this analogy in Matthew chapter 5. So important is it to him that we realize this, that he's going to say this again. Woe to the world for temptation to sin, for it is necessary that temptation comes, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands and two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. I'm going to read a pretty long um, text here next, and and then we're going to be done. Like this is we're drawing. Oh, sounds like my mic went off. I'll talk louder. Um, 
We're going to reflect on this a little bit after we read this. Here Jesus gives us, so I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. This is the uh, rich man and Lazarus section of Scripture. Here it says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right here and I want us to, to think for a moment because like, there's a part of me that wonders when I read this. Like, He knew someone named Lazarus. Why bring this confusion? This is not the Lazarus that he brings back from the dead, okay? Why bring the confusion? Like when I read this, I think to myself, Jesus, why bring the confusion? If you're going to give an, if you, if this is not actually a real man that you are aware of this situation playing out, why not just change the name up a little bit? Give us a name that's not so confusing, right? So as I read this, and I see this name, so rich man not mentioned, Lazarus name mentioned. Like the question comes to my mind, Jesus, how, like, either you made this story up to prove a point, right? Which he's been giving parables all along at this point in the text, or you're reflecting on something that you know, right? Um, and if it's that, if, if there was a man named Lazarus and a rich man who had a good life but found himself not in Christ... And what picture do we see of the current intermediate state of those who die apart from Christ? That's just a kind of an aside there that I reflect on when I see the name Lazarus. Because he didn't even have to mention the name. He could have said rich man, poor man. Right? Like he could have. So Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment. So he's in Hades, the grave, in torment, conscious torment. What do I mean? Right now, you are conscious. You are aware. You think. You feel. You reason. Consciousness. Right? You can reflect on who you are. You can reflect on what you've done. You're a conscious being. This rich man finds himself in Hades, conscious in torment he lifted up his eyes and saw abraham far off and lazarus at his side and he called out father abraham have mercy on me and send lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for i am in anguish in this flame again this is jesus giving this picture of hell this is the one who came to save us from it, and when he chooses words to describe 
this reality torment, anguish, flame. The one who would know, right? The one who would know would be the one who holds all things in existence by the power of his word. The one who would know. And he does not mince words when he reflects on this. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Again, he chooses this, these words that do not give us a sense of ease in regards to the state or condition that this rich man finds himself in, in Hades. And besides all this, between you and us, or between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may come across from there to us. And he said, I beg you, Father, send to him my fa- send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. I want us to pause here for a second. I want us to consider what he's asking to take place for his brothers. And I want us to reflect on what this says about this man who finds himself in this place of torment. He's asking someone to go. Like, he's asking him to send someone who, who was once dead. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. What is he saying? They have the word of God. They have the word of God. Let them hear them. And he said, this is this man speaking again. So Abraham puts forward this truth that God's word is sufficient for them to come to this knowledge. And he said, no, Father Abraham. So the state of this man who finds himself in torment did not all of a sudden come to the realization that Scripture is true in all of its ways. Even in this moment, when he is told, they have the word, he's like, it's not enough. It will never be enough. That's what they will believe. That's what their heart, that's what a heart that never sought after God will believe for all of eternity. There will not be a moment in eternity where this rich man says, huh, you know what? The word is sufficient. Because the sinful heart continues on the path that it was set on. And... How ironic it is as well that as Jesus is telling the story, do you not think that Jesus is also aware of the thing that he is going to do? He will be the one that comes back from the dead. They wouldn't even believe him. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Repent. 
And he said to him, if they do not hear the word, or if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is Jesus. This is Jesus here saying this, giving this either parable or reflection on some true thing that he is aware of having taken place. Either way. So here we find ourselves um, with this reality that hell is real. It is our default destination. And it is not going to be a place of ease. It is going to be a place that when Jesus chooses to use fire, anguish, torment, that I would go so far as to say that it paints a picture but that picture sufficiently worse. Sufficiently worse. Like, in the same way that we will find that, we can paint a picture in our mind of heaven, and when we see it, it will be better. There will be no words that we would have been able to string together that would have done it justice. Likewise. Likewise. Hell. The best, the best, torment, anguish, fire. A place where, another, another example Jesus gives uh, to this is where the worm dies not. Um, when we think about what that phrase means, there was a place, Gehenna um, or Henna, or Hanan, I can't remember exactly, um, that was there, that ultimately, like, the name of this place became the word that was used to describe hell, a place where the fire was unending. Like, if you didn't have someone that would bury you, this is where your body would go to be disposed of. And so many bodies... Like if they had ran out of bodies, the worms would have had nothing to eat and would have what? Died. But when Jesus speaks of this reality, he speaks of it as a place where the worm doesn't die. It's like these bodies that they're raised in will be tormented. And this is not a torment that is, there's a time that it ends. Um, I would go so far as to say that's for a reason. Um, I don't think that sinners quit sinning, uh, even after death. Um, I think this is, Luke chapter 16 is a good example of that. Um, it's a good example of that. Like he didn't all of a sudden get right knowledge about God and his word just because he died. The reason that we as believers have hope for that is because the great teacher teaches his people. So... In conclusion, some things that I want us to consider. As followers of Christ, we should be no less urgent than our Savior when it comes to warning others about hell. If he saw it as something important, we likewise should see it as something important. 
The hope of the gospel shines brightly against the darkness of the alternative. That's something that another reason that I wanted to put this up front in this study is because this is going to be a backdrop that we um, kind of move forward from as we consider heaven in the weeks to come. And also for anyone who might follow along with this study, whether on the podcast or 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 by whatever means in the future, um, would consider their current destination. Like, I do want us to consider that. I like to take it for granted because I've seen you for a long time. Right? I've seen the lives that you lived. Um, But we should reflect on the race that we're running because the default is hell, and heaven is only ours if we find ourselves in Christ. So, um, that's the end of that. I want to leave you with one question. This is where we'll be picking up next week. So we're going to start our um, considerations of heaven coming off of this study on hell, attempting to answer this question. Um, I'm going to start like this. Do you think that the people in hell don't know why they're there? Do you think that they're punished like a puppy that like peed on the carpet yesterday and then its owner is like really agitated because they found it today and the puppy's like, got no clue? Do you think that's what it's like for those who are punished eternally in hell? So you don't think that they have their memory wiped. I want to point that out. You don't think that they have their memory wiped. There's a part of you that hopes that yours is. Okay, and that's what makes this next question come at this point in the study. How can you be happy in heaven if you know that someone you loved is in hell? Your easy cheater way of doing it is to say you forget this side. That's the, that's the way that we will attempt oftentimes to answer that. I want to encourage you that the truth is much more comforting than simply forgetting. Okay? Um, the truth is much more comforting. Um, and if it helps... You will be comforted in the arms of the great comforter. Okay? Um, so let's not start with, well, we've got to forget about everything here because I'm going to promise you that a billion years into eternity, when you're singing about the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that you will not look to your left or to your right and be like, what is slain? What does that mean? That he will have glory for the works that he did here. And you will praise him for it. The only way that that occurs, if there's continuity between this life and the next. And I believe there is, and we will look at that next time.